0: This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. As we get to that time of the year where students are working on their last project of the semester, we thought it would be a good idea to give you some unsolicited advice and help you score big points on this final presentation. Sit back and take in all the wisdom we have to offer as we kick off Episode 98, Architecture Studio Presentations. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson.
1: And I'm Andrew Hawkins.
0: And today, Andrew and I wanted to talk about the big picture for presenting a studio project in architecture school. This is a topic that we think can be broken down to a few simple yet effective principles. Today, we're going to discuss those principles and ideas and strategies and provide some tips to help you give the architectural presentation. That will blow the jury away. (laughs) That is definitely hyperbole. Yes. Yes, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Let's just put it this way. They won't start off by saying the famous line that I heard, this is where you everything up. (laughs) They never said that to me. I'm on record. I, I, there was another woman that was in my class and really his nickname was chainsaw after this. Oh, that's brutal. You know how you present all the students. Whenever I've done yours, you only part of your students because now everybody has eight billion drawings. But yeah, because they just go print this view and print that view and print this view and print that view and print this section and yeah, we're hand drawing it, so we didn't have a billion drawings. Yeah, and so one of the professors walked in, and this particular young woman, she might have been third on the ro- on the wall. Mm-hmm. Like clearly, you start here and then you go to the next person.
1: You just kinda it's kind of kind of what
0: it is. Now you may not know which wall we're going to start on. But she was kind of in the middle of the wall. You know how they do. They walk in and they kind of
1: sashay along the wall and kind of- Peruse around. And Yeah, yeah
0: they're kind of perusing around. And he sits down and he's like, they're like, okay, let's get out. And he goes, hey, I'd like to start with this one right here. <laughs> and he stood up and he walked over and he said, "Whose is this? And this young woman, she goes, Oh, that's fine. And he goes, let me tell you where you F this up. And I was like- <gasps> Oh, no. (laughs) I've heard people get kind of like, yeah, this is bad. You did a bad job or whatever. Yeah. Up to that moment, I never heard a professor use curse words, number one. Yeah. That's still a rarity. It's the only time I remember that ever happening in my education, to be honest with you. To put that sledgehammer of a comment in right out
1: of the gate, I was flabbergasted. Yeah, that's rough. I don't think I've ever had anything that bad in any of the ones that I've been to or that I had when I was a student. There was times where people would pull some stuff off a model, be like, this really doesn't need to be here. Crack and throw it away. But Mm-mm. never flat out going, this is how you effed all this up. I would just, man, I can't even imagine. That would have killed me. You know, I will tell you, I was sitting in one of yours, and you probably remember this.
0: And if you don't, that's fine too. <laughs> but there was a guy, it's on the list. Not this exact story is not on the list. It has to do with one of the things we're going to tell you don't do this. Oh, yeah. This one guy pinned it up. The work wasn't there. The drawings weren't there. He was talking about, well, what I was going to do. And I just, after like a minute, we were already running late. Uh, yeah. Do you remember this? Yes. I shut it down. I was like, look, these all sound like great ideas. You didn't do the work. It's not on the walls. I'm not going to burn up everybody's time talking about stuff that you could have done that you didn't do. Next time, do the work, put it on the wall. We'll talk about it. Let's go to the next one. Yeah. No, I remember that. And that guy was just, I thought to myself, <laughs> that's the meanest thing I've ever done. <laughs>
1: It was pretty bold. I mean, I think the other reviewers were like, yep, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nobody was mad about it. Yeah.
0: Nobody was mad about it. Uh, except for the kid. You know, I'm not even sure he's mad because he was clearly, he knew. He was embarrassed a little bit because he was saying like, "Yeah, well, what I was planning on doing was this. Yeah. I remember, you and I had a conversation afterwards about it, and I'd never thought of this before. And it was the idea that for some of these kids with four-year degrees, and this was a spring semester final project. They've already been accepted to whatever grad school they're going to. They literally don't care as long as they get a passing
1: grade. Yep. C's get degrees, baby.
0: I was stunned by that, actually. So anyway, we'll rehash that entire story later. Just a minute. (laughs) Yeah. So we came up a list of some points and we have some. You know what? None of this is rocket science. I don't think.
1: No, I don't either, but I think sometimes it just gets forgotten or pushed to the wayside in the pursuit of other things or in the pursuit of greatness for your project. You forget these basic, simple things. Well, you know
0: what? I don't remember anybody ever telling me, this is how you present. There was no class on, hey, when you give a presentation, do this, stand here. None of those sorts of things. Yeah. And what I think is interesting is now in my office here at Book of we have that program. I've written a couple of blog posts. We've brought it up before. I started a program called seven minutes in heaven, which none of these 20 year olds even understand that reference anymore. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. The closet. Wait, what? I don't yeah. What? I don't understand this at all. Yeah. So I sit down with everybody and they volunteer to do this, by the way, they volunteer to give a presentation on anything they want. I go, look, the point isn't what you're talking about. The point is you getting up in front of a room, Putting a story together, telling that story, practicing eye contact, moving around the room, not standing in front of the monitor, telling a story that people care about. And the whole point is to practice this. And part of what we talk about is the number one bullet point on today's list. It's all about the narrative. And I tell these kids, I go, look, clearly you like this, but part of your story has to be, here's why you should like this.
1: Yeah, exactly. What makes it important to me, but why should that be important to you as I'm telling you about it?
0: Yeah. Why would the person listening care? Yeah. You can say, I love water skiing. And I can go, great. I don't care. Right? I mean, that's heartless maybe. (laughs) But you kind of go, here's (laughs) why you should care about water skiing. Mm -hmm. That's part of how this process works. So number one on the list, all about the narrative. And- this starts off with the big idea.
1: We just did a podcast on the big idea. And we talk about that a lot and you talk about that a lot when you come to my reviews. When those things happen. It's something that's important. It's definitely my go-to. Yeah. And so the premise
0: is really about you have one organizing concept. In a sense it's kind of your party. What was the thing, the declarative statement that helped you organize and make decisions on how you went from first mark on the page? to what's pinned up on the wall exactly
1: yeah that's kind of how that works the goal i think in that narrative is to talk about how that principle guides you through that process and how it impacted the decisions that you make i harp on that a lot and a lot of times i have students that just go well, here's my idea and then that's it <laughs> they start at the beginning and you never hear about that idea again for the rest of the presentation even though well i have a big idea but it's really about how does that impact all of these decisions that you're making and how did you try to keep that Flowing and alive through all of the project. Yeah. How does it all tie back?
0: Well, like you've told me many times, all stories have a beginning. Like there's a build-up, there's a climax, and there's a resolution. And yeah. project stories, project narratives, they have the same thing. You have a, in the beginning, there was light.
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: You have to have that moment. You go, ooh, tell me more. I'm going to start this story and I'm going to build it up and we're going to have a crescendo and it's going to equal the summation of my amazing project. That's part of what big ideas, that's part of the narrative, that's part of the storytelling. And quite honestly, I think it's one of the most underrated skills that successful architects have.
1: I 100% agree. I don't think that I have that skill as much as I would like, and I know that at times it's impacted my ability to get a job in interviews and things. They want you to tell some kind of story, and if you, if you can't put that together, sometimes it hurts you. Sometimes that keeps you from getting the getting the contract, getting the pat on the back, getting the job. Well, you know, I
0: was hanging out with my buddy, Michael Shue, who we've had on the show before. He's a friend of the show. Mm-hmm. And he and I were chatting once. I'm not so old that I'm befuddled, but I tell stories so often sometimes I can't remember to whom I've already told the story or not. But he said something once about presentation. So he and I are roughly the same age. He's got a terrific practice. They do amazing work. He's mm-hmm. an awesome guy. Somehow he's got that skill, like you hang out with him and you're like, I want to be your best friend. That's kind of the guy he is. Yeah. And I knew that that would translate into him having a good practice, but he's a terrific designer and he's conscious. This, look, this is not an ad for Michael Shu. <laughs> but one of the things he said to me, one of the last times we were chatting was he brought on some partners and he's opening new offices and they're kind of expanding. And he was like, yeah, I want to do more of the things I want to do and less of the things I don't want to do. I feel like I've accomplished enough to where I can pass the baton to other people to take on the responsibilities that are no longer interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And so I was asking him a little bit, so what does that mean? What does it look like? What are the things you still like to do? And he goes, well, I like being in initial meetings. I like schematic design. And he kind of made the point, if you start off a presentation go, well, hi everybody, thanks for joining us today. We have three schemes to show you and let's start with scheme number one. Yeah. He's like, I just died and I'm not listening anymore. (laughs) Yeah, And I go, yes, that is exactly right. Nobody wants to hear, I have three solutions to your problem. Let's look at all three and then you tell me which one you like. There's no story to that. There's no, why should you do it? They're hiring you to help them get from A to B and you need to say, look, part of that storytelling process should help them set priorities. But when you're in school, it's your priority. So you don't need three stories to tell based on different priorities. If you, it's like, this is what's most important to me. So here's my story. Mm-hmm. Boom, do it. Everything feeds into that. For sure. Right.
1: Along those same lines, talking about the narrative, you're not a realtor. You're not, you're not a tour guide. I'm not walking through and say, well, this is how you enter the project. And if you turn left and you go up the stairs, then you're in this room. And if you mm-hmm. turn to the immediate right, then there's, that's not it. That's not <laughs> what you're supposed to be talking about. Anybody that shows up that's going to review your work, whether they're another professor in the college or they're outside reviewers, they can read a plan. They don't need you to tour guide them through your project. (laughs) Yeah. They can look at it for two seconds and pick out everything that's not there or shouldn't. So you don't need to tour guide them around. That's not what your job is as a student presenter. You know what? This is a
0: lost opportunity, Andrew, quite
1: honestly, because that could be a podcast episode
0: (laughs) in itself. This is true. Because that is something that happens. I will sit down with some of the younger people in my office and they'll start walking me through it. And I'm like. Look, I'm not that rude, so for the sake of not making this an hour and 20-minute long podcast, (laughs) I'll be a little more curt than I normally would be. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can read the drawings. I can see what you did. I don't need you to explain to me that this is Mm -hmm. where the front of the building is. Yeah. I got all that. Like you said, you don't need to tour guide me through this. I want to know why you did what you did, not how you did what you wanted to do. Yeah, exactly. I can see that. I'm good at reading drawings.
1: Yeah. What the results of your decisions were, but why did you make those decisions is what I want to know. Yes. That's the narrative. That's the story.
0: Exactly. That's number one. And you know what? It should be number one. Yeah. Because that's where it starts. Okay, let's move on to number two on the list. And I'm not so sure that they're in order anymore. (laughs) Me neither. Me neither. But I wanted to lead off with narrative. So the second one on the list is scale. Scale is important. And this has to do with making sure that you tell the story and you manipulate that story by using the appropriate scale to make your point. This could be regional scale, local scale, urban scale, building scale, human scale. I mean, you can keep going. Yeah, You can pick all these different scales and sometimes you want to look at the 30,000 view and you want to look at the 5,000 view and you want to look at the five foot view. That's all part of the stereo. It's kind of like, think of it as character development. Yeah. It starts off, it was a cold night. All right, great. In this town. Mm-hmm. on this street in this guy's room yeah (laughs) in the upper left bedroom on the second floor where there was one window and one lamp was on everything starts drilling down and getting more specific more the lampshade was a plaid like you get more detail more information the more Mm -hmm. you drill in yeah you don't want to start a book and say it was a plaid lampshade (laughs) you're like wait what like you need a set a bigger picture and then work me and walk me through it. Get me down to it. So the idea is use scale to help you tell the story. And that's just a matter of saying, all right, we're starting here and then we're going to whittle down to get to the essence of what it is that we did and why we did it.
1: Yeah. And I also think that it's not always a linear scale thing. Sometimes you have to go small and then come back to something a little bit larger to talk about things. Because we've talked about before that at least, I mean, you and I talk about working that way, at different scales and bouncing back and forth and solving problems at different scales and going back out and then zooming in and going back out. And and sometimes telling the story in that way is also useful. It's not always 100% this linear path, but you do need to talk about things at different scale, unless your project is you're building a chair, but there's still even scales within that. Everything's got differences of scale that you're designing at and you're thinking about and you're answering those questions about why. How do I use all these elements of different scales to again support that story? And it should happen at all these different scales.
0: Well, you know, I sit there and think, all right, we hadn't planned this out. I didn't know you were going to use chair
1: as an example. <laughs> yeah, me neither.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. Like if you sit there and think, hey, I want to talk about this chair at, at different scale levels, that could start to inform how you tell the story. At some point, you might talk about the grain of the wood and why you wanted it a particular way. Or maybe when you're problem solving it in your own head, you might go, at this level, maybe the orientation of the grain should matter. Mm-hmm. Maybe when I do my wood seat, I want the grain running from front to back, not left to right. Yeah, These are things that help you solve the problem, but they also help you tell the story as to why you did what you did. And you can go from here's the shape all the way down to here's the joinery, here's the wood grain, here's how summer wood absorbs stain at a different rate than winter growth. And so we we'll really want to choose a wood that allows us to either not have that kind of disparity between summer and winter growth. Or we want to choose a grain that is really tight and we do get that color differentiation. Yeah, certainly. Right. There you go. Chair. It happens in a chair. Yeah. Chair talk. Welcome. (laughs) 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 Yeah. And also, we should talk a little bit about using the correct scale to tell the correct part of the story.
1: Yeah. I think it's about when you start talking about the story, sometimes I think there's a problem that happens when you're trying to tell the story and you're using the wrong scale to talk about it. If we're talking about how your building's got some human scale thing to it, but you're talking about that, and you're looking at a a one to two hundred site plan drawing. That's not really a city a city map. Yeah, that's not working, right? So you got to be able to correspond and correlate those things, I think, and and make sure that you're doing the proper stuff. In our chair example, you would want to have some things that talk about the different ways the grain of wood impacts it. You're not going to do that at the whole chair scale. You're going to be talking about is it the arm, is it the seat, is it you know, whatever that scale of that element that you're really focusing on. And so make sure you're picking that out, because if you start to talk about stuff at the wrong scale, things can go downhill quick. Yeah. Well, it certainly can be confusing. Yeah. So
0: that's an easy segue to the item number three on our list, and that is order the images for your story. Yeah. Really? That sounds simple. You know what? That's because it is. You know, it's funny. When we write these run sheets, and Andrew put this run sheet together today, and I always have people that sit around me, and they all get sneak peeks. They all want to know what the topic's going to be. I tell them, here's what we're going to be talking about. Here's the order that I'm going to talk about it. And then they get to say, well, what about this? Or what about that? And I go, shut up, get back to work. <laughs> or I run the, would you rather question past them? Yeah. So everyone who sits around me, none of them listen to the show because they get it before we record it. <laughs> they
1: already know it. Yeah. Ahead of time. Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> so we were talking about this a little bit and I kind of was a little amused that You would tell somebody that the order of your drawings on the wall, guess what, people? That's the roadmap for your story. Yeah. It's your notes. You don't have to worry about like, hey, what am I going to say and how am I going to say it? I mean, you should have that stuff figured out. But the drawings on the wall, you just have to look at the first drawing and go, this is what it is. This is what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Think of it as like your graphic notes. So I think, pin them up. Well, they came back and they said, well, sometimes your professors have a drawing requirement you have to do these drawings yes and they will well that may not correlate to the story you want to tell and i go how tell me one drawing that they would possibly ask for that i couldn't use that to tell a story one just tell me one drawing yeah and they looked at me for a minute and they're like okay whatever i'm going back to (laughs) yeah i was like look the professor goes give me four plans okay that's fine What's the challenge there? Give me sections. Give me elevations. Give me a T diagram. Give me a, a grid. Show me where in the cities. How do all of these not help everything we've said so far? The story, the scale, the yeah. order which is placed on the wall. Yeah. I go, there's no restrictions. That's not hard.
1: And I think sometimes it's important to help them tell the story because sometimes the order of scale and the back and forth and how you're telling your story helps or should help you arrange those items on the wall. And sometimes it's not this direct linear path. And yes, your professor says, You've got to have four sections and four elevations and a structural plan and all these things. But that doesn't mean that you have to put them on the wall in the order in the list that he gave you. You know, I mean, like, <laughs> you don't yeah. have to do that. Yeah. That's not the point of, of them giving you that list ever. It, these are the things that you need to use to tell your story and explain your project. And so the order that you put them in is really important. I think for me, one of the things it didn't happen so much in the past couple of years where it was all online, and, but now, or that we're back in person. If you don't pin them up correctly, you're standing in front of stuff you're supposed to be talking about, or I always prefer it that you're walking across in front of your drawings that everything you've talked about previously, I can still see while you're talking about mm-hmm. the stuff you're doing now. And my availability to review your information grows as you walk from left to right or right to left, and I can understand. The project and start to relate it back to other things as opposed to, I find it so strange that at times they a site plan on one end of the wall and there's a floor plans on the other end of the wall. So they're zigzagging back and forth in front of the work all the time. And I'm just like, hey, I don't understand this. Yeah. How do we not think about, there's an order to this and we're putting it up. And again, it, it all goes back to that story, but it's still about making sure that you can tell it properly. Yeah, chapter one and
0: chapter two. <laughs> exactly. Well, in the notes, it talks about like, you standing in front of drawings so you can kind of move your body and unveil what you're talking about so people aren't just like flip to the last page in the book and get the answer (laughs) that kind of thing yeah one of the things that we talk about in our seven minutes of heaven program that we do because it's not pinned up on the wall yeah we have different charrettes this is a different kind of thing but i know some of your students they still present online that still happens oh yeah but i will tell you one of the things i tell everybody is when you're standing up in front of a room of people, this is particularly true in a professional environment because we don't always pin stuff up on the wall. We create slide, slide decks shows all on the time, yeah. Giant monitors and we're sitting at a conference table and everyone's kind of tilting their body at 45 degrees and looking down the table at the giant TV screen that's at the end of the room. Mm-hmm. So I tell people, when you're giving your presentation, and this is something we could get into, but I've written another post about it and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I tell them to make sure that they talk about whatever's on the screen from the left-hand side. And then you move to the right-hand side. Because I can't tell you the number of times somebody, like, they park on one side of the TV. And I'm sitting on that side of the room. And I'm basically looking at them. And they're blocking my view of the screen. Screen, yeah. And it drives me absolutely crazy. And I go, this is garbage. This is garbage presentation. You are taking me out of your presentation because you don't have any body awareness between what you're standing in front of. And what the person you're talking to is supposed to be looking at. I go, just move to the other side every now and then. Split the hate up between both sides of the table. (laughs) Yeah. Don't dish all the garbage to one side. Yeah. Or just get out of the way completely. Stand far enough back. There's a joke, we can leave it in or not. I can't remember the name of the comedian. She was hilarious. And she used to tell this story about when she would fly on airplanes, the pilot would come on and say, All right, everybody in the plane, if you look out the left hand side of the window, you'll see the St. Louis Arch. And she's on the right-hand side of the plane. She's like, I can't see it. Yeah, And it seems like they'd fly the plane in such a way to where it's always the left-hand side of the plane. (laughs) And and he's like, again, people on the left, if you look out your window, you'll see this amazing thing. And then she takes the mic and she kind of whispers, people on the left, we hate the people on the right. (laughs) (laughs) I always think about that joke when somebody just camps out in front of a monitor, and never mm-hmm. moves. And I go, all right, well, you just yeah. took out this whole side of the room from seeing what they're looking at. This whole side of the table. So, yeah. Body awareness, folks. Let's go into item number four, which is practice. And practice literally means practice. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, be prepared. Know what you're going to say. Don't just wing it. There's a, a super, super strong desire to go, I know my project so well, of course I could wing it. Mm-hmm. I can talk about it no matter what, because I have it. Knowing your project well is not the same thing as crafting an A to Z path that you're going to take. Yes, you can talk about the ABCDs, MNL, Sure. but it's the order at which you want to let that information loose. That's the practice part. Know what you're going to say. Know the order in which you're going to say it. Nobody does that.
1: Yeah. And I also think it's good to be have some kind of the idea of that path, but it also maybe helps keep you focused a little bit. If something happens and you get interrupted, you can still get back to it. I find so often that sometimes if, if somebody pipes in for a second, you lose your whole train of thought. Yeah, Having practice, it helps you get back to it.
0: Well, I'll tell you this. It's funny. And I'll put a link because I've written on presenting a few times on the site over the years. Mm-hmm. And we actually did a, podcast number 24 which was called i believe presentation skills tips and techniques yeah which was different it was not geared towards students yeah giving presentations to drawings pinned on the wall it was you standing in front of a room of people and talking
1: about whatever yeah
0: about whatever it is it's going to be and the irony was is you know before i started writing the blog i rarely had to stand up in front of a room full of people and talk and then In very short, like 3 (laughs) bammo, Yeah. All of a sudden, I got asked to do it constantly. I mean, I was like, this is different. Three months after I started, I was given a presentation at the Texas Society of Architects conference. Yeah. And there were about 400 people in the room. And the reason why that mattered is because the guy who ended up sponsoring me to get my fellowship in the AIA was sitting in the room during that presentation. Mm. And he grabbed me afterwards and he's like, I want to sponsor you for this because what you're doing, nobody else is doing. This is amazing. Blah, 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 blah. And I thought, thank God I didn't screw that up. <laughs> that put me on a completely different path. But So in this post I wrote, and I ended up turning that post into episode 24 of the podcast. It talked about like how to present. And I listed five ways of which people talk. And I listed them from worst to best. So manuscript was the worst. You literally writing a script yep, and you yep, following yep, it. Yep, yep, Nobody wants that. I can tell you right now,
1: nobody wants nobody that. Nobody wants to hear you or watch you read the screen uh, or words that you've no. typed on a sheet. Right.
0: Number two, worse, memorization, which is basically you doing the manuscript but not having to look at a piece of paper. Nobody wants that either. It's flat. It's dull. It's boring. There's no pause. There's no life to it. It's terrible. And then you have Outline, which is like a PowerPoint presentation, which I don't love, but I'm okay with PowerPoints as a device for you to do the next two types, which is extemporaneous.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: So that's like, you kind of have a script, you kind of have a path you're going down, but you've practiced it so many times, you know it so well that you can deviate slightly along your course from now and then to keep that life and that energy in it. Yeah. So basically you're working to it, but you know what you're doing. The best is improvisation. But the problem is, is people interpret improvisation as you just knowing the content and you just going, all right, but blah, blah, and you just do it. And that's what students do a lot of times. Mm-hmm. They're quote unquote improv. Improving. Yeah. They're doing, this is a hundred percent improvisation, man. Yeah. I got to this point because I was given so many presentations and I was writing custom presentations for every single time. And I go, I can't keep up. It was killing me. So I'd pick like a theme. And actually, the first time I did one of the most popular ones I did was social media for architects: the good, bad, and the crazy. And I wrote that in your office. Yeah. And I gave it to A and M. Yeah. Was the first time I ever gave it. And I gave that presentation. If you wanted me to give a speech on social media for architects in that calendar year, that's the presentation that you got. Yeah. And so I gave it twenty times. And by the time I got to like number four, I was up to extemporaneous. By the time I got to like number six, seven. I knew it so well, I could go through and improvise the entire thing. The images told me what I needed to talk about. They told me what points I needed to make. I could vamp a little bit. You know what? And I got the best crowd response once I got to the improvisation.
1: Yeah, that's hard to do in an architectural semester, for sure, to get to that point. Oh, for sure. But you definitely want to do something where you understand what you're talking about, and you're not just reading from something you've written on a page but it's not that you're just flying from the hip. There's some structure there you've got to get worked into and figure out what that's going to be because when you fly from the hip, it never works out as well as you think. Even if you think you crushed it as a student, (laughs) you probably didn't. It doesn't work that way. So you've got to practice a little bit. and, And even if it's just with that sort of outline bullet point of that this is this and this is this and make sure that you have a plan more than anything, is just have a plan for what you're going to talk about and practice that instead of just waking up that morning after two hours of sleep and rolling in and going, yep, this is my project. If you walk in the front door and you turn left, <laughs> there's the bathrooms and then you go up the stage. Yeah. You got to stay away from that.
0: Well, that also kicks you right back to the point we made in number three, which is order the images for your story. So once you figure out mm-hmm. your script, that's going to inform the order at which you're going to put your images. And then as you're giving your presentation, it's going to tell you what you're supposed to be talking about. Yeah. That's how that works. You know, I used to, and I still do this. When I give presentations, I typically have a lot of slides in my slide deck. And normally it's because I don't have terrific short-term memory. I have amazing long-term memory, but short-term memory in certain ways, not great. Mm -hmm. So I take a lot of notes. I write a lot of things down and I'm so prone to telling stories just because like, oh, this made me think of this. yeah, right. Which is why we do run sheets. So I don't start a story and then end up telling three other stories. And next thing you know, I've started eight stories and haven't finished one of them.
1: Because that still never happens. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not as much as people might know. (laughs) know.
0: Anyway, the point of all that is I put a lot of slides in my slide decks and I go through them rather quickly, but they're mental cues to tell me what I'm supposed to be saying. Mm -hmm. I don't put bullet points up on my slides. I don't click it and go bullet point one pops and I advance it and bullet point number two shows up. I,
3: comes yeah. the next one. I don't do
0: any yeah, of that. It's I, yeah. images and I see the image and I go, oh yeah, I'm supposed to make a point about this. Mm-hmm. Those are my visual, my, my memory is really tied to more visual cues than it is to written cues. But that's how I practice and that's how I prepare. Drawings, images, same kind of concept. Mm-hmm, for sure. You know, something else that we should throw in there is I think that you should actually develop your story before you develop your story, you figure out your narrative, you practice it, it's going to tell you what order to put your drawings in. That's how that works. But it can actually tell you what drawings you need to create, mm-hmm. which is something else because exactly you and I have talked before. I never once had a studio professor ever tell me what I needed to pin up on the wall. They never said, you need to have four elevations and three plans and two buildings. That never happened in my, all the years I was in school.
1: I don't know that it happened when I was in school either, but it's really predominant now. Yeah. I mean, it's almost always what happens.
0: Yeah, that's what it is. So I never had that happen. So the idea that you have to figure out what drawings to create in order to tell your story, that also suggests that maybe you need to do some drawings that are in addition to what your professor
1: is asking for. Yeah, for sure. Always. My list is always a minimum. I'm like, this is the minimum you need to have. Yeah.
0: Well, it also suggests that you figure out what your story is going to be when you present. Before you've done all your drawings Mm -hmm. Because it might say Hey I want to make this point And this list of drawings that Professor Hawkins gave us Doesn't allow me to successfully tell This particular aspect So I need to make something special Yeah. In my day we made models So we would make special little models To articulate Like I made one out of mirrors once Because that was one of my projects I think I wrote a post on it called The best worst project that was ever made (laughs) I designed a house that was completely wrapped in mirrors
3: Mm. (coughs) Mm-hmm. Nice.
0: The only way you could get away from the mirrors was to go inside of the room. So it was like a cube with more cubes on the inside. Oh, uh huh. And it blew everybody away. It was the easiest A I ever got in my life because <laughs> this is one of those things. Like it had one great view, and so by wrapping everything in mirrors, and we had nine grids, like it would just keep reflecting forever. Oh yeah. Until it reached a spot that didn't reflect anymore, which was the view. So it didn't matter where you looked. You always ended up with that view.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. It was madness. Bedrooms and all that stuff were inside these mirrored cubes. And I go, who would ever live in a house like this? But as a concept, it blew everybody away. So how do I tell that story? So I actually built a model of, you know, like a three by three grid and I made eight mirrored cubes. And I said, look, and I put it in this box and I go, when you look here, it will reflect until you see out where the spot is. And they're all like, that doesn't work. That's not true. Here's the model. Check it out. They didn't hear anything I said for the next five minutes because they would just play with that model <laughs> yeah. for the next five minutes. That's funny. All right. Let's go to number five. Number five on our list is use only the necessary. And we kind of just got through talking a little bit about this one.
1: I was, it was kind of like what you were talking kind of leads into to it anyway. Yeah. But yeah.
0: And it's the if you have a set list of requirements for your project per your professor. Do more if you need it to tell your story. To the same extent, if it doesn't tell your story and you're not required to put it on the wall, don't put it on the wall. I don't need to show how hard a worker you are when you just pin up a thousand drawings. You know, we had this comment before one of the presentations I did for you or with you. Somebody pinned up like a million drawings. And I was like, what about this? Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. And they're like, oh, well, that was, I go, it's on the Mm -hmm. wall. That means I get to talk about it. You pinned it up for a reason. And I'm assuming that you weren't so undialed in to think that I'm just going to see all this work and go, clearly they're amazing. We can skip them because their project's the best. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If it's on the wall, we get to talk about it. So it needs to contribute to your story. So you got to do some editing in addition to meeting the requirements that your professor tells you. Yeah. Don't just pin up all the work you did so that we see that, yeah, you're a great student because you work hard.
1: Yeah. I talk about, even if you do get a list of things that are required, I think you have to look at that list even and figure out where to point your efforts into telling your story. Mm -hmm. In other words, yes, you're required elevations, floor plans, sections, or whatever, but maybe the elevations and the sections are what really tell the story of your project. So while you have to do floor plans, get them done and be done and really focus your effort on making these awesome elevations or the greatest sections that you can because that's what tells your story. And then if there's no, let's say there's no scale requirement for you to print them out, well, print those things that aren't as necessary smaller and the ones that are and tell your story much larger. There's ways to even manipulate that. Here's your list of requirements to really try to tell the story. Again, back to tell the story about your project with the stuff that you do. But if it's not a requirement, figure out what it is. Only use the necessary stuff. Don't pin it up because if you pin it up, somebody's going to talk about it. It's fair game. Yeah, it's fair game, and it doesn't always help, and it doesn't contribute
0: to the story. It's just, look at all this work I did. I'm yeah. amazing. You know what? And I will confess, I used to do that. You know, when I was younger, for sure, I would pin up, obviously, I like to sketch, because that was part of the iterative mm-hmm. process that we all did when I was in school. And I was never an artistic sketcher. I was a thinker sketcher. Like, you could see my thought process by looking at my sketches. Sure. I always use like the edge of my scale to tear my paper. And I would always try to, when I laid out new drawings, I'm sketching on top of it. I tended to be that person that would try to get the paper like the same size from sketch to sketch as I would draw something and I go, eh, let's modify that. I put another piece of trace over it. Yeah. So all my trace was like the same size. So at the end of the semester, I might binder clip and hang my binder clip of 8,000 sketches on the wall because clearly I'm an amazing student. 8,000 sketches. 8,000 yeah. sketches. <laughs> and I will confess that when I was in school, and that worked pretty well. Like <laughs> They're like, yeah. But I will tell you, unlike during a presentation, the professor, when they would come in, around to my desk and say, all right, what have you accomplished since you know, Monday, and it's now Wednesday, they could see my thought process. They could flip through this stack of sketches I did, and they could see how I got to where I was at. And it seemed like mm-hmm. that was really useful for them as a teaching tool. And there was this guy, a good friend of mine, actually, still. He was not a prolific sketcher. And I don't mean like compared to other people's sketch. I mean compared to anybody. And he would sit at his desk and he was a thinker. And he would think and he would take his pencil and he would put a mark on the page. And then he'd stop for a minute or two and he'd think. And then he'd erase that line that he just drew. And so he would end up sketching on vellum, Mm, not trace uh paper. Because it would would hold up to his marking and erasing and all that kind of stuff. The professor would come by his desk and see like three pieces of vellum with stuff on it after visiting my desk with 4,000 sketches and go, do you not want to pass this class? You need to put in the work like everybody else's. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, Scott was here all the time that I was. He's not duffing this compared to me. He just doesn't start with the what I go, okay, this didn't work. I keep it and I go to the next sketch. Yeah. He would erase it.
2: Yeah.
1: And move on. Scott's not in architecture anymore, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that kind of process is difficult now because of computers. Students these days don't sketch, and as they change their project, they just delete it, do something else, and that whole process is a lot more difficult to put together, I think. Well, let me rephrase. It's not difficult. It just doesn't happen. I still try to get them to sketch their ideas and work through things on paper before they put it in the computer because it seems like once it's in a computer, it's permanent. I literally had a student tell me last week, I can't change that, man. It took me like 10 hours to model that part of my project. I can't, <laughs> that's not the answer you're supposed to be given. I don't care. That's yeah, that's, that's not, not the it. Point. It doesn't work, but I can't change it. I was like, okay. I mean, that's a whole nother rabbit hole for sure to talk about that. But the other thing I would say about this, when you talk about using the things that are necessary and doing that extra little extra bit, if you need to, one of the things I find that a lot of students now don't use, it's nowhere on the list, but. Diagrams to explain what you're doing is really useful. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can get more out of a little ten-minute diagram than I can out of this rendered view or this drawing that you spent hours and hours on. And sometimes those little extra things can push your project into another level of understanding and almost like an idea of more completed because you've taken the time to just do little diagrams to explain the things that you're doing. And I mean it's kind of like that idea of those sketches. It explains your process and. Nowadays, you could do diagrams to do that. Mm-hmm. It, it helps a whole lot. Yeah. And it's that little bit extra, but it's necessary, I think, to tell that story. What I'm about to do is number six on our list. <laughs> but
0: <laughs> I was talking with a friend of mine today, and we were commenting on a guy that's on my team who is probably one of the most intuitive natural designers I've ever met in my life. Hmm. He gets scale, he gets proportion. I mean, he's really, really talented. He has no idea how stuff gets built, and it causes problems for him for him every now and then. Mm -hmm. And what I've been beating into him for like the last year and a half. And luckily I'm also his mentor in the office. So we have a relationship where he can go, that's BS, or I don't like this or whatever. And I don't, I'm not a jerk. I mean, I get mad, but everybody can recover. So we have very frank conversations. He wants to be an official project designer. And we talk about well, there's an arc you need to make. You need to understand how buildings get made. You need to understand codes. Mm-hmm. You need to understand like the physical limitations of building systems. You need to go beyond. This feels right. This is a good scale. It's good size. This is a good shape. It's good color. All that kind of stuff. That just comes naturally. He can just look at it and go, eh, "I need to move it a little bit," and it's, he's right. Mm-hmm. He has a hard time articulating it sometimes. It's so intuitive to him. Yeah. So we're constantly trying to work on. All right. You got to be able to explain your process to somebody else in a way that is linear for that person who's not you. That's number one. Number two, if you do want to become the project designer where that's what you do, you got to get a lot faster. Yeah. You can't model this stuff to the degree at which you model it to understand that it either works or it doesn't work. And I'm here to tell you, and I gave him a sketchbook and I'm like, draw it on paper. It can be nasty. It can be ugly. It's not going up on the wall, but you got to figure out how to punt out of a path. That's not going to get you where you need to be sooner. Sooner. Yeah. Yeah. And I go, I can run through 10 iterations of this with a fat pen and a roll of trace in 20 minutes. It's going to take you four hours to model it well enough and then to unmodel it to do version two. Mm -hmm. And I go, you got to get faster. Mm -hmm. That's the reality of it. So part of it has to do with when you go through this process, you got to speed it up. You got to figure out when to punt out. So that's number six on our list. Some people call it, don't chase rabbits. I say, don't go down rabbit holes. Yeah. Which for the record, I love going down rabbit holes. Uh,
1: Exactly. I am well aware. (laughs) I was thinking about this one as I was typing, thinking
0: about you. And you know what? Look, everybody loves when I go down rabbit holes. I'm going to say... If you're not editing a podcast of me going down in a rabbit hole, mm, okay. you're a yeah. fan of my rabbit holes. <laughs> so stay focused as you can. Try not to get off track. Don't derail your own presentation. Don't get your wheels shot off when you're making a point. You're going one, two, three, four, five, and a juror interrupts you, and you don't remember if you were on five or eight, Yeah, and your wheels shoot off, and so you as you're trying to remember where you were, you start talking about how you like eggs or some, I don't know,
1: I'm making it up. Exactly. Why water skiing is the best.
0: Yeah. I know.
1: <laughs> and yeah, I think so, right? It's to me, that ties back to number four or something about practicing and knowing what you're going to say. It helps you from going in the wrong direction at times, or, or maybe if you'd start to do that, to pull yourself back in. Because typically you don't have an hour to present something. Yeah, that allows for rabbit holes in our one hour podcast. You can go down a few rabbit holes, but yeah. in your shorter presentation about your project, you don't have that time. But I think it's really about staying focused and keeping that narrative going and knowing that you are on this path and that that path is laid out. It's really important, really important. I've got a couple of students I've had recently that, that we're guilty of it in the podcast. Every once in a while, we'll start a sentence and even change direction mid-sentence and go somewhere else. One of us is more prone to that than the other, but Andrew, Andrew is in case you were wondering. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, sure. But being able to stay focused and not do that a hundred times in your presentation is really important. It's a good thing to practice and it makes you seem more paired and makes you seem like you know what you're talking about. Even if you are a really smart person and this is a great project, if you can't talk about it in a, a structured fashion, sometimes it comes across like you don't know what you're doing. I will tell you.
0: That sometimes you can design rabbit holes to seem like a rabbit
1: hole, but it's not a rabbit hole. This is true. I'm not going to argue that.
0: Yeah. And I will tell you, even in this section on Dunk Going Down Rabbit Holes, (laughs) here's a rabbit hole for you. But there's a takeaway from this. Sure. So bear with me. I'm not going to tell you the whole story because it's a long story. But I have this phrase now with my daughter because she knows what it is. And I can say, how do you want your eggs? And she knows what my point is.
3: Mm, mm-hmm.
0: So my mother-in-law, who is literally one of my favorite people on the planet, nicest woman ever, love her to death. Yeah, she defines the rabbit hole in a way <laughs> that people like me, who are also prone to going down rabbit holes, are just stunned by. I'm like, yeah,
1: and that's amazing. <laughs>
0: I am middle school level rabbit holer compared to her NBA level
1: rabbit hole. <laughs> her PhD in rabbit holes. Yes. And the,
0: <laughs> this, the story was, I was literally making some hard boiled eggs for myself. And she walks into the kitchen. I go, hey, grandma, do you want some hard boiled eggs? Man, it, 20 minutes later, I got the answer to that question.
1: And it had to do with,
0: <laughs> I wake up in the morning and I get ready in my bathroom, but, you know, there's not good coverage in my, and I like turning on the news and watching the news as I'm getting ready and, you know, the coverage isn't great. So I have to put antenna on it and I'm hearing about how she watches TV in the morning and how the TV doesn't work right and what she has to do. And she's got this bench that she sits on when she wa- I mean, the level of detail is amazing
3: mm-hmm.
0: and it goes on. And I hear about how she drives into the place and then gets on a bus and she rides a train and she walks the five blocks. I'm, I'm 15 minutes into the story. Yeah. And she tells me in the ground floor of her office building, there's this lovely delicatessen and this guy. And she told me his name and how they talk about their kids and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And he has these hard boiled eggs that he makes every day. And I
1: love them. So, yes, I would like a hard boiled egg.
0: I was like, oh my (laughs) God, you could have just told me you wanted a hard boiled egg literally 20 minutes ago.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like, how did that? The eggs are done now and they've already been refrigerated.
0: Yeah. But you know what? I will forever remember. That my mother-in-law likes hard-boiled eggs, because I have an entire story (laughs) about (laughs) how much she likes hard-boiled eggs. That's true. And you know, the thing is, so the idea of designing a rabbit hole as a narrative, as a way to convey a lesson, a story, as a delivery mechanism, is very, very effective. It's the unplanned, quote-unquote, rabbit holes that you need Mm -hmm. to avoid.
1: Sure, the distractions. Yes. Yes.
0: Because everybody likes a good story, even if it sounds like you don't know where this is coming, and they start telling some story, and you're like, what's happening here? And then you get your answer. Sometimes those can be the most memorable, the most impactful way of conveying information to someone in a way that is not so academic that it will stay with them in a way that they'll never forget. Mm-hmm. So I agree. That's part of the reason I lean into the rabbit hole a little bit. But yes, I am. I'm prone to overdoing it. (laughs) All right. All right. Let's go to the last number seven. Lucky number seven. This is a big one, actually.
1: Yeah. And I put it in last because it's maybe it's not as positive, but still.
0: (laughs) We should have buried it if it
1: wasn't positive.
0: (laughs) But you know what? This is an easy one for people to do. Both. Yeah. Do it, but don't do it. But also, it's easy for them to not do it once they're aware, hey, you shouldn't do this. Mm -hmm. It seems obvious that you shouldn't do it, but don't do it. Number seven is don't point out weaknesses and omissions. Let me restate that. Do not point out weaknesses and omissions. The number of times I've sat in juries, and I'm one of the panelists, and somebody goes, well, what I was trying to do here, or what I was going to draw... And I go, but you didn't draw it. I don't want to hear about what you were going to do. You didn't do it. Don't tell me what you didn't do. Mm -hmm. Don't tell me what you could have done, but didn't do. It's not productive. It's not helpful. It doesn't advance the story. If it was important, you should have done it. The fact that you think it's important and you didn't do it reflects poorly on you. It reflects poorly on your planning. It reflects poorly on your ability to practice and prepare yourself. I mean, it's not just, I didn't do this work. It points out so many other negative things. Don't do it. Yeah. If you just don't bring it up, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to I'll go, oh, you should have done that. And then go, oh, yeah, you know what? That would have been a great idea. We're done. Yeah. But if you go, I should have done this and I didn't do it. All right. That's like eight red flags. It's red flags in so many other <laughs> categories.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You know, I also think it, it happens a lot. And I, I think if a student feels like that it helps them in some way, but it never does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not. Like you said, all it does is point out all these other red flags. And also, for me, there's two parts to it is one. If you don't mention it, I might not think about it or notice it. That's the first part. But the second part to me that's more important is that how is this part of your narrative and story and you don't have something that shows that? That's the bigger red flag for me is if it was important enough for you to talk about in your story as something that's missing, Yeah. why did you not do it? Instead of some of these other things, whatever they were. Handle up on your business. Yeah. And if it's that important to the story, to the narrative, to your project, then you should have done that first before any of these other things. If that's the thing, well, I didn't do this and I wanted to, but I did do this and it has no bearing on my project whatsoever. But the thing I should have done was this. Well, why don't you just do that and not do the part? So you don't lay out the parking lot, but you do have a nice section perspective or something that really gives me the core of your project. Mm Mm-hmm it's, again, focusing on what you should do.
0: Well, here, let me add this one. And this is unfair. Let me just go ahead and say this. This is unfair. <laughs> this has carried on throughout my entire life, certainly my professional life. Mm-hmm. And it has to do with when you don't have something that you should have, and you're trying to tell me that you knew that you should have it, but don't have it. That's not a good thing. Like, and you just got through pointing that out. If there's a reason why you don't have it, I still don't care (laughs) because it's still not, I mean, that sounds mean, I know, but you kind of go, oh, you know, I went and the printer was broken, so I didn't get a chance to print it out. Don't care. Don't care. It's not here. And it has to do with, you know, I talk about this a lot. It's setting schedules for yourself that require perfection in your execution for things to get pulled off. Like if you don't bake in time for something to go wrong and for you to recover, how many times do you have to make that mistake? Before you go, you know what? I'm not going to wait until three o'clock in the morning to print out my 37 pages of drawings for my eight o'clock pinup and then go, I couldn't get anything to print out. Or my computer kept crashing or I couldn't find my jump drive and there wasn't enough room or the line was too long and it was going to take me seven hours to get my prints. You know what? Failure to plan. That is still your fault. Yes. You know, I shouldn't even tell the story, so maybe I won't. I'm not going to tell it. (laughs) I'm going to mask it. I'm going to make up a new story that's kind of the same story. All right, let's go. But somebody needed to turn something in, and they had to go onto a website and turn it in by this time. And they logged in at two minutes before the deadline. Mm -hmm. And by the time they clicked the right buttons and figured out how to get to where they needed to do to submit the thing they were supposed to submit, it was locked.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And
0: we couldn't submit. Yeah. And they're like, it was so complicated. Don't care. You shouldn't have been waiting till two minutes before it was due to do this.
1: 11.58, that's not the time to start doing it.
0: You should have done this two hours ago so that if something went wrong, you can recover. Look, everybody makes that mistake at least once in their life in a painful way. I don't mean like when you're a kid and you did something stupid because your brain gets rewired all the time anyway, so I get it, but once you reach that stage that you're a quote-unquote grown-up, you don't make that mistake twice.
1: Yeah, you shouldn't. Yeah. So good looking
0: out. Positive number seven.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know. Way to end on such a high note. Yeah. Along those same lines, though, I think that we kind of talked about earlier as far as looking at floor plans and not needing tour guides. It's also obvious for reviewers when you're missing stuff Mm -hmm. 90% of the time. If you pin something up and it's not there or maybe you have a thousand drawings, but we're still going to be able to know the thing that you don't have. So you don't need to point it out. Maybe don't mention it. Don't bring it up. And maybe there won't be a discussion about it. But as soon as you say, well, I should have done this and I didn't. That's it. It's over.
0: Well, it turns from one problem into four problems at that point. Yeah. There's no upside. Okay. So here you go. Here's without all the extra words. Number one is all about the narrative. Number two was scale is important. Number three was order the images for your story how you pin up your drawings on the wall matters. Practice number four. That's super self-explanatory. Number five, use only the necessary. If it's on the wall, it's fair game. Number six was don't go down rabbit holes. You know what? Maybe six, a should be, that was a joke. might <laughs> Mike
1: going down a rabbit hole. Unless you can somehow carve them into the narrative of your story. And then it makes sense. <laughs>
0: And then number seven was don't point out weaknesses and omissions. So that's seven. That's seven solid, easily obtainable steps that you can take that will guarantee you raise your grade by one letter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And like we talked about at the beginning before we got on, there's plenty of other things. But these these are really, I think, ones that, that level you up fairly easily, but really will set your presentation apart from probably everyone else's <laughs> if you can do these things.
0: Look, I feel this is important to add because I interviewed a young man today and he's was well, like the most overqualified summer intern applicant I've <laughs> ever talked to in my life. He was amazing. He was terrific. And we were talking about a few things and it had to do with, let's see if I can articulate this in less than 30 minutes. Cause that's how long we talked about it. It's the idea that your grade it's not based on this presentation. This presentation that you, the student, are giving for your final design is really an exercise in preparing you for what life is coming. Mm-hmm. You know, what you're going to do professionally. Your professor has seen all the work that you put in the semester. You didn't go into a presentation, borderline A, B, and you dropped to a C because you did a bad job. You fumbled the ball or whatever the case may be. Your grade is probably not going to change much. Between before you present to after you present. Probably not. In my opinion. Probably not. Because there's it's not like you took a test. You're one of 300 people in a class, mm-hmm. and they don't know you, and they don't see any of the time sure, and effort and sure. work that you put in. So you take a test, and you get a grade, and that's your grade. In architecture studios, your professor sees you all the time. He knows what struggles you're going through. He knows what you're exploring. He knows the amount of effort and time and diligence and dedication and brain power you're putting into this and if you have a misstep you don't do what you're supposed to do not in an egregious way like i just didn't do it but like you just had a misstep it's not going to submarine you no it's not the end of the world
1: no and neither are jurors comments when they they don't see things the same way you do and Yeah. They haven't been involved in all the conversations that you've been having with your professor all semester and it's easy for those things to happen in these reviews, which again I think goes back to the importance of these things we're talking about because then they can understand the project the same way. I would say the only thing to me about a presentation in a sense of impacting your grade is about the level of production. What you're pinning up on the wall. Yeah. If you've been knocking it out of the park all semester and you show up and you pin one drawing on the wall, I mean unless this is a Unbelievably spectacular singular drawing, then that's a problem. But if you fumble through stuff or whatever, that's a different thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 But the chances are the person that's been knocking out of the park all semester doing that is zero.
1: Yes. Pretty small.
0: So you kind of are who you are, and your grade is not really tied up as much as you think it is into the singular. Mm. Yeah. No. 20 minute moment. It's just not. Yeah. No. So treat it for what it is. Practice moment for the rest of your life. It's an at bat. Yeah. As we call it. Sure. One hundred percent. Okay. Let's move on to the would you rather question for today's episode. Which I wrote however long
1: we've been recording
0: plus five minutes. Five minutes before that. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) All right.
0: There's probably gonna have to be some rules. That means
1: that's fresh. It's fresh news to me. I don't know what it is either.
0: You know what? It's fresh to me because I didn't even get time to think it through. All right, let's see if I could actually word it correctly. All right, here you go. Would you rather? Would you rather only cook food you prepare for the rest of your life or only eat food that magically appears in front of you when it's time to eat? Meaning you have no control over what shows up. You're gonna eat whatever whatever's there. And I'm not talking about worms. But just yeah, I mean food. food. It's normal food. Yeah, it's regular stuff.
1: But you don't have any control of it. it. you sit down at the table and it's Harry Potter style and it pops up in front of you on the table and that's it.
0: Well, no, Harry Potter style sounds great. There's so many choices. Like you might get chicken and dumplings and go, God, I hate chicken and dumplings. I got you. Or I don't like bananas and there's bananas in this or, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's proper, well-cooked food.
1: Yeah, it's, it's But food, like you yeah. might go,
0: I'm in the mood for a burger. Nope. You might not ever get a burger again in your life. Tofu sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> Well-made. Properly prepared tofu sandwich. That's yeah, sure.
1: Gourmet level tofu sandwich.
0: But yeah. yeah. So you either control what you eat because you make it for the rest of your life or you get whatever Wheel of Fortune meal. Man,
1: okay. <clears throat> There's no in between, right? It's an either or. It's either I cook every meal that I eat or- Every meal. Every meal is magically delivered. That's it. <laughs> like, right? I
0: thought you were going to say magically delicious. Delicious.
1: I know. That's where I pulled it from <laughs> Though, right? Magically delivered.
0: Yes. That's correct. Okay. Uh, that means if you're making it, you're making it and bringing it to a restaurant if you want to go eat out with people. You're not eating restaurant
1: food. You had to make it. I just don't eat at the restaurant. I got you. but Yeah. Uh, man. But how does that work if, if it's your magic food? The same thing. You just sit there and all of a sudden you're at a restaurant and everybody orders and you go, no, mine's coming. Just give it a second. <laughs> Poof. There it is. Look,
0: this isn't a question of when it shows up. Everyone's like, oh, we're going to go for shawarma or whatever it is. Yeah. You might get spaghetti. You don't know what it's going to be. It's not like you can say, well, I don't like spaghetti, so it's off the rotation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tough beans. Yeah, I got you. It could be beans. <laughs> <laughs> and, they could, and they could be tough. And they could be tough. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Here's another consideration as you're pondering this. Part of the consideration for your answer has to do with time.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: You're making everything as opposed to you don't have to spend there's no time that you ever have. To, when it's time to eat, boop, it's there.
1: Yeah. And it's, I mean, we're saying it's well-prepared stuff. That's the problem. If it was like, well, it may be fast food or it may be gourmet steak. Mm-mm. Well, that's different. But if it's always going to be something that's really well-prepared. It's not garbage. You're not yeah. going to get a plate of garbage. Yeah. It
0: could be fast food. I mean, I guess there's no reason why it couldn't be. Uh, but you just don't know what it is. There's no control over it. It could be food that you're like, I don't, I don't like that food. Yeah. It could be from any type of cuisine anywhere in the world.
1: Yeah, which I think that's probably, even though I feel that I am an adventurous eater, there's very few things I turn my nose up or that I won't at least try, I think, for the most part. I think the idea of not having any control over that, I wouldn't work for me. I'd have to go with cooking my own food, just because, I mean, I don't mind cooking. The time factor is kind of crappy, right, having to do that, but. That's super bad. That's the
0: thing that I think really should sway you one way or the other, quite honestly.
1: I guess my question is, but when I'm cooking, right, I have control over what that is. So mm-hmm. if I say, all right, well, you know, with cereal for breakfast. I don't have to make a giant bacon and <laughs> eggs and ham and yeah, like, so I think that's why I would do it. So I would be able to cook when I have time to cook. And then when I don't, I don't pretty much my life now anyway, but
0: yeah, but no, that's when you have time to cook, you do. And when you don't, you don't
1: eat. Eat, I know. But I mean, I, mean, I don't cook, but because I would be like, because I'm assuming in that, not that I'm eating food from somewhere else, but a sandwich or something. I mean, that, that's not a time consuming thing to make. No. As opposed to that's right, a giant meal. So I feel like I would at least have some control over the time. I mean, maybe not a lot, but I think not having any control over what's going to show up in front of me, because there are days where this is really what I want to eat. And if I had to cook it, that's fine, as opposed to, I really want to have this, and then bloop, something else shows up that's completely left field. I think that would get to me over time.
0: The reason why I wrote this question, and after I wrote it, I went, this is a good question because I don't think there's a right answer, and I don't think there's a wrong answer. Mm. I don't think we've ever had a question to where it's an absolute coin toss, and it's completely defensible either direction. Yeah. Because I actually like to cook. My plan was to be a chef if this architecture thing didn't work out. Like, yeah, yeah. I find comfort in it. I enjoy it. I just don't like the cleaning part. I hate that part. Yeah. When I think about this, I go, you know what? I think I'm going to take the magically delivered food. Hmm. Because the truth is, is I am a pretty adventurous eater. But at the same time, I'm not such a glutton that somebody goes, here's your bowl of blank. And it's something that I don't want to eat. All right. And I don't eat it. Big deal. There'll be something else later. I'll be okay.
1: I'll have magic late night snack. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, (laughs) so as I start to critically think my way through this, what I'm considering is the time Mm -hmm. to have to make every single thing I ever eat and pack to go be social. If people are going, we're going to go out to eat, and I go, well, I got to pack a little box of food to bring with me because otherwise, I'm not going to get to eat. There's that aspect. I'm really comparing that. To the idea that since we said the food is delicious, what I'm giving up and what I'm giving up is the control to say, you know what? I'm in the mood for a burger and I probably won't get a burger when I want it. Yeah. It's not that I won't ever get a burger. Yeah. But I'm not going to get it when I want it. I'm in the mood for X. I want a pizza. Mm. Chances of you getting what you want. Doesn't really matter. Yeah, It doesn't matter. But I do think that I like to think that I'm a fairly positive person, even though I haven't felt that way in a while. The idea that I, I can imagine myself sitting down, rubbing my hands together, going, what's it going to be? What am I going to get? <laughs> yeah. Like there's a little bit of excitement.
1: Some anticipation. Yeah, exactly.
0: That comes into, what's it going to be? And you get it and you go, yeah. that was amazing. Of course, you're like, I might not ever get it again. <laughs> <laughs> I, just found, I just had this goulash that was incredible. That's the last time I'm ever going to eat goulash in my magically delivered food. But I think that's the way I would go. because time. And adventure, and what you have to give up, and I like cooking. That's the thing that's kind of crazy about it.
1: I enjoy cooking also, which is kind of why I was going that route. And for me, the thing about if I just want to, if we were going out to eat or something, I just wouldn't eat in the same manner that you'd skip a meal that showed up that you didn't like. Well, if people were going out to eat and we we're going to have dinner or something, I just wouldn't eat. I'm assuming I could have a drink, yeah. So I would just sit there and socialize, and I would just wait till I got home to sit down and make my food, whatever that was. I think that's how I would handle that situation. I mean, I can't see that idea of, in reality, that's three to four surprises a day. Just totally, I don't know what's going to happen. Here it comes. Boom. That that could be interesting. But I think for both of these, at a certain point in time, it's going to get old. Either way, right? You're just going to be like, oh, I'm tired of this. <laughs> yeah, but the variety is endless.
0: If you don't have to make it. And here's the thing. I don't know the exact number. I read it years ago, but I'm not sure it's fuzzy because it wasn't something I locked in. But I want to say like 70% of the world eats bugs as a, the majority share of the protein that they get in their diet oh yeah And so i said like food could come from anywhere i go yeah. i could get grasshopper souffle or whatever the case may be yeah you know i'm just i'm just gonna ignore that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i'm just gonna say yeah whatever it's coming from the pool of food that is available that is not so extraordinarily outside the realm of what is normal I'm not going to get grasshopper souffle because nobody where I live eats grasshopper souffle. But I'm also assuming that you get appropriate food for the meal. Like, I'm not going to go, what's for breakfast? And I get asabuco.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: I get food that's normal for
1: breakfast. Yeah. I get breakfasty food. Yeah. I hadn't even thought of that, trying to throw that loophole in there, but <laughs> it's breakfast and I got tamales with chili on them. Really, um, <laughs> yum. Yeah, you're like, you know, I can't do this right now. Yeah, that's not what I want to do. Uh-oh. I still think the, and I guess maybe the thing would be is that I don't feel like the, me making and cooking every meal I had to have would be a huge departure from where I am now. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I do that now, but now it's maybe, I don't know, it's 60-40 I make my own food versus I get it somewhere else or go out to dinner or something. That other 40% wouldn't be that drastic of a change, I guess, to just make all my own food. And I managed to make the time to do it now. I'd be more scared of not having control of what I was eating, to be quite honest. Yeah. And again, I'm You're- not that picky, but it's just, I. sometimes I want what I want. So that's what I'm going to do.
0: All right. There you go. You're making your food. I'm magically delivered. Magically delivered. <laughs> Okay. All right. So we're going to call that a wrap for today's episode. Thank you for being with us today for episode 98, Architecture Studio Presentations. Special thanks to our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast.
1: Want to get every new episode automatically downloaded? Make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on your podcast player of choice so you can get alerted every time we publish an awesome new episode.
0: While you're there, please consider leaving us a comment and I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a five star, stand in the light and make eye contact rating.
1: To get even more content, head over to lifeofanarchitect.com for blog posts, links and info about this wonderful episode and all the website has to offer. You can even add your own voice and join the conversation. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers.